Shall we start the show? Let's. Welcome to North v South, the podcast that is and is increasingly not about design. <laughs> this is episode 70. I'm Jonathan Elliman, and on the other end of Skype is Rob Turpin. Good evening, Hampton. <laughs> Good evening, the Shire. Hey! Uh, How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I will yep. have to, I'm going to apologise in advance if my daughter um, kicks off. Right. She's had a major tantrum just before I started recording this, so um, hopefully she's um, blown herself out like a, like a <laughs> storm. Have you got a drink this evening, John? I've got a glass of white wine. Ah. Was it a nice Pinot Grigio? Thanks to Sauvignon Blanc, mate. But uh, no, I didn't fancy it. What are you having? I'm having a, a black sheep. Ah, um, I'll, I won't pronounce the village name because I always get it wrong. Uh, it's Massam. <laughs> not Masham. That's the beer, by the way. All right, you're not giving us a sample. <laughs> no. You, you've been in hospitals, haven't you, this week? <laughs> well... I was in a walk-in centre, my local uh, memorial hospital. I was making soup, and uh, it's a dangerous, a o- a dangerous occupation. It is with a van- brand new vegetable peeler. I sliced a big chunk into my my thumb, oh and um, the weird thing was, I, I was on my own, and it was bleeding copiously. Doesn't really do it just this. Um, it was pouring down my arm, <laughs> uh, kind of dripping off my elbow. You know, it looked quite dramatic. But because I was on my own, I couldn't really do anything with it. I was, I was kind of had it under the cold tap to try and stop it. As soon as I took it away, there's just blood everywhere. I couldn't get a, a plaster on it with one hand because it was there was so much blood. So I thought I'm just going to have to go. <laughs> Like a an idiot, I'm just going to have to go to the A and E with a cut thumb. So I did, and they were very nice. You know, the NHS is a wonderful thing, and they, you know, gently mocked me, but uh, but were very lovely about it. So um, so I've got a big a, a big kind of bandage on my thumb, uh, but that should come off tomorrow, and hopefully my thumb will still be there. Jolly Fingers good. crossed. Yeah. What, you, what have you been doing other than that? Well, I haven't been at work. No shortage work at the minute. I think it's uh, slightly quiet in the world of. Uh, hang on, hang on a second. Hang on a second. You've you've made a pledge this year. You've got to stop saying you haven't been at work. You've been uh, working, haven't you? I have been working. I haven't been doing the the the, the dull job that I don't want to be doing. Yeah. Well. Um, uh, no. So I've been drawing, which has been really lovely. So I'm still working on. Um, the creatures that we spoke about in the last podcast. So I'm going to do this series of creatures. And this week I drew an ent, which uh, is uh, very timely as to our topic this week. Um, and I'm drawing um, a commission at the minute of Odin uh, that someone asked me to draw. And, um, Odin! Exactly. Yeah, him. Uh, I really, really like it. So I'm really happy with it. I'll send you, um, I'll send you a picture of it. Okay. Uh, but it's quite, I'm trying to make my drawings and commissions a bit more kind of graphic, a bit more sort of, 
stylized so they're more of a more of an illustration less of just a picture of something which is what i've been guilty of in the past um and it's going well so far cool yeah um and uh so i've been doing that this week yeah quite um, a few likes of your end haven't you yes the end went well did that surprise you the reaction that you've had uh because it's quite a um, it's quite a um uh i don't know it's you know playing you're playing with something that is beloved by many people it is but weirdly there aren't that many classic representations events there's the films obviously uh and alan lee drew a couple of events but there's nothing apart from the films there's nothing really you know you you could call it as canon um so i didn't feel under any pressure to you know to to represent it in a particular way um but it did get a lot of likes but i think i just think there's a a whole kind of area of fan to be tapped into with um with kind of fictional creatures and popular culture stuff but particularly with lord of the rings you know it's it's got uh well it's had fans since the since the 50s hasn't it yeah is there is it um you've just sent me a drawing on text and um mm. it's uh is there three-dimensional stuff coming into your drawing here rob uh the uh the scrolling is very very gnarly and lovely thank you um i guess there's a little of 3d stuff but uh you know i mean it's still a kind of a head-on drawing of of Odin. but uh i'm just trying to get a bit more depth into stuff really you've come a long way that is thank superb thank you i'm i'm very happy with it so not that you were bad in the beginning but that is <laughs> uh i'd say that looks like a professional's done it well <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and damning you with faint praise. No, there. no, not all. So, is that my week? Oh, and I've been trying to get fit. Really? And uh, lose some weight. And how's that going? It's going all right. I've lost five pounds this week. Blimey. Well, you know, from a standing start after Christmas, um, it always comes off pretty easy. But um, I've hired a treadmill. So, uh, I'm like a little hamster. Yeah. So I'll well, is it actually like, just a giant wheel? That they've attached to your side of your house. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah absolutely. So yeah. You're, you're powering the local community, Grind, grinding the wheat. I am. I should really have had this beer bottle uh, upside down with a little metal pipe for me to <laughs> sup on. Uh, so, how's your week been? Uh, awful, thanks. Um, <laughs> should we skip it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all I'm going to say is, children without uh, with one one parent is hard. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, don't know how my mum brought up three of us. Yeah. Can we just clarify nothing terrible has happened to Jess? She's just working. No, she's a, she, yeah, she's an auto sport cardboard to the max. Is she going to bring you back in the, um, I don't know, her air fresheners? To yeah. <laughs> Turtle wax. Your rear view mirror. <laughs> I'm not talking about my personal life here. Huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Um, no, I, I hope not. I'm, I'm really not into cars. So, um, you know, I have no interest in them whatsoever. Right. What else have I been doing? Working and picking up children, and uh, that's it, really. Has the work been fulfilling? Has it not been, really? Is the nitty gritty? Yeah, it's a gr- it's a grind. Um, I'm working on some bra- brand a, a brand manual, I'm going to call it, um, which has been 
quite interesting in the fact that I've had a, a client who's engaging in the whole process. So it's, that's good. It's quite good fun. Yeah. I like a, a brand manual or a, set of, a good set of guidelines. Oh, yeah, these, these ones are looking good. So I'm very pleased with them. Um, yeah. Cool. That is all. Oh, and I helped him. I helped a friend on Sunday put a roof on his studio that he's building in his garden. Mm. Did you have a studio envy? Uh, not at the moment, but I will do. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be lovely. It's on Gould Road, actually, which is where he used to work with me in oh. Twick- Twickenham. Okay, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, I was a roofer on Sunday. <clears throat> it was nice wow. being out and out and about. What was the weather like on Sunday? Lovely and cold. Hmm. Yeah, it was perfect. Good. Excellent. Well, I see uh, from our notes uh, <clears throat> that you've you've got some uh, some other stuff that you've been consuming this week. I've been watching Black Mirror, the new <laughs> season four. Yes, and enjoying it thoroughly. Uh, uh, see, I've watched the first two episodes. So the first one was the the kind of Star Trek. Uh, pastiche and the second one was about the kind of embedded parental uh, filter thing which I found so bleak I nearly didn't finish watching it yeah it's quite it's quite tough as a yeah I can it's quite tough as a parent watching things that, yeah. where children go missing it's yeah, not good for sure it's uh, jo- Jodie Foster directed that one she yeah. did, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was good. The the it really episodes three and four um, improved enormously. Episode three was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But that is taking the bleak and turning it up to super bleak. Okay. Well, I shall look forward to that. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 I the first. I, I, the first I didn't see the first were... one. I didn't. Oh, okay. I haven't seen the first one. I skipped it. I thought they were a bit like uh, nice, nice little ideas that perhaps didn't deserve an episode of a TV show. Yeah. The last one last night called hang the DJ. Um, mm. it needed long, much, much longer to okay. explain itself. Uh, and it could have been a, a long, a long film or a few episodes. Um, it, the, the characters in it were really likable and you wanted yeah. to spend time with them and it, and it felt rushed at the end, mm. but it is a kind of tales of the unexpected, vibe yeah. to it isn't it it's these future shocks yeah you jump you jump in and you jump out again there's not there's not a uh, a, li- a linear narrative from beginning to end no normally then they realize the the kind of future tech the kind of near future tech quite nicely perfect it's all sort of nicely understated and yeah yeah there's a really nice reference in the third one about um uh self-driving vehicles and okay. kind of the, the hook of the the main story is a witness in a in a, in a in an accident with one of them where it drives into somebody and breaks his arm, but mm. inadvertently captures um, a possible something else that's going on. I won't plot spoil it because it it will uh, ruin it for you. But yeah, so I've enjoyed that. And then Charlie Brooker popped up on Desert Island Discs on Sunday when I was driving into London. Oh yes, which you told me about. I haven't <laughs> listened to yet. And he's a fine chap. Very different from how you'd see him on the TV. Yes, he's quite uh, sort of in your face, isn't he, when you see him on the telly? Yeah, he's not like that at all. He's a very gentle character and also incredibly erudite and well-spoken. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, he's uh, brilliant vocabulary, and I could just listen to him waffle on for forever. I think you know he's got oh, one cool. of those one of those voices. I look forward to seeing that. He never says "er" more "er" like I do all the time. Yeah, that's just media training, John. <laughs> and then well, maybe we should go on a course. <laughs> and then an- and then another one that I've read that I was uh, given at Christmas, and I've, I neglected to say it was another Tim Hayward book. He wrote one that I mentioned last year called oh, the, the Knife. The Knife. Yeah. And this one's called The Modern Kitchen. And I think designers would really like this book. It's uh, it's a sort of like a um, uh, uh, every single spread is uh, an essay on a classic design element in the kitchen. So from teapots to fondue sets to frying pans. And then he goes through the history and the design history of it with uh, some really nice photography. It's a lovely book. If you're looking for a present to get somebody who's into design, that's yeah. definitely one. And He's got really good writing chops as well, so the text doesn't oh, cool. just throw away. He can he can he can bang out some words. So uh, that's called the Modern Kitchen and objects that change the way we cook, eat, and live. Cool. Uh, I just quickly looked on the the Amazon link that you uh, thoughtfully provided, and one of the first items is the potato peeler, which obviously was the uh, yeah <laughs> my downfall this week. <laughs> which one was it? Uh, what, which thumb or which p- peeler? No, what kind of peeler? It was those ones that look a bit like a disposable razor. Oh. It's just a Sainsbury's own brand, but brand new. The, cl- the classic British style. Mm. Dear. Yeah. They take, <laughs> they're just, the, the gap between the blades is, is just big enough to take a really sizable slice of thumb. Well, I always think those, I always bend those ones in because I think that you take off too much peel. And if you take off too much peel, you're pretty much removing all the good all bits, the goodness, of, yeah. of, especially of potatoes. Mm. True. But that's available. Uh, more comments like that are available on my vegetable podcast. <laughs> I'd love to listen to that. <laughs> <clears throat> are you uh, Are you full of news this week? I'm not. I didn't. I didn't uh, put any news together because you said we weren't bothering with news. Oh so, yeah, that's uh, it. So, <laughs> so no, I haven't got any. I've got uh, one one little update that I wanted to talk about. You know that we've been talking about this light camera, and yes, uh, I wasn't necessarily criticising the actual the the software nature of the cameras itself. I was criticising the website and the way that it was kind of communicated to you that it mm-hmm. actually didn't tell anything. But there's a, a new camera called Rilo, and I wanted yep. to point that one out. You can go to rilo.com, which is R-Y-L-O.com, and it's a specialist camera in terms of it's a 360 camera. We've had quite a few over the last couple of years. Yeah. But what this does really well is the marketing is spot on. The samples are really, really good, and it's all about the software. So, you know, it's anyone can put a lens on a well, not anyone. I couldn't build a camera, but you, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's about the, the knowing what is going to appeal to people, and some of the um, some of the features on it are absolutely fantastic. There's a feature on it called Tiny Planet, and it's it basically converts the 360 lens into a globe, so you are the subject matter and everything else. You know, like those BT gas ads they, yeah. they were animated. I've seen these. I've seen these a lot. So it's not the first camera that can do that, but it is. It's an incredible looking result, isn't it? Yeah, but it does stabilization, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it is yeah. tiny. This thing. It's ready to mm. buy. 
it's you know it's using tech that's available um i think it's going to be a really really successful camera it's 500 dollars. it just looks like a little dongle yeah it's tiny yeah it's a super cool thing so i think that's just good a good uh sort of flip-flop of marketing done well marketing done badly pretty much doing the same kind of thing hmm uh, but yeah, that was that's all I wanted to touch on today. It's going to be a short episode, isn't it, with no news? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk more about us, John. Uh, okay. Yeah, no news. Okay. Uh, I haven't even uh, I haven't looked at a design blog. I've pretty much skipped over anything design e uh, on Twitter and social media. Uh, I pretty much tried to immerse myself in my drawing this week, which is, you know, it's nice that I've had time to do that. Um, and enjoyable, kind of really getting into it and sort of honing my method and process a bit. So lots of use of sketching and using the light box to refine and then sketch and scan and print out and resize. And yeah, so I, th- I think that also helps me create images that are more illustrations than drawings of stuff. So it's been nice to, to dive into that. Do you feel like that's becoming sort of crystallized as part of your process? Uh, not yet, but I think it will. Um, Cause it's still quite new to me. And even just thinking about pictures as uh, kind of a finished image is quite new to me. I know that sounds stupid for someone who's been drawing every day for the last four years. But um, so much of what I do is just doodling that becomes something else or it's a drawing of something. That thinking about them as a kind of a composed, styled illustration is quite new. But I like it. It's, well, I mean, even just with the, the creature heads I've done, even though there's nothing else to them other than the creature head, I've tried to kind of style them in such ways they look like a thing they're not um they're not graphic design per se because they're not overly static but Mm. there's definitely you can see that you do you know you're a professional layout artist as it were because they're very formed and they're almost like you get in very expensive coffee table books on anglo-saxon relics or whatever you know so they're like almost snapshot photos of things that have been pulled out of the ground yeah i quite like that I yeah. like it when you see, uh, well, I mean, I've, I've been kind of looking at quite a lot of stuff, uh, Viking artifacts for this um, Odin picture. And I, I just love kind of seeing an artifact completely out of context, you know, nicely photographed. And you can kind of really appreciate the object uh, for what it is. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of that's bring off. Have you done any drawings since, uh, since Christmas? No, I, I've got a draw. I'm drawing at the moment. I I had to draw some. Um, I got some lettering to draw for a client's van, uh, okay. I, which I was meant to get in. I think yesterday or day before, and I, I just haven't had time. Mm-hmm. I was I was playing around with that last night, but I just uh, yeah, <laughs> I haven't got time to, uh, yeah. to sit and sit and do it. Um, I no, I haven't done any drawing. Well, so, pull your finger out, John. Yeah, I'll try. Because I like your drawings. So oh, respect some nice. more, please. Thank you. So on to the main topic. So we were talking last week about we are going to start reading a chapter of Lord of the Rings. 
by J.R. Hartley. Uh, he, he he wrote <laughs> the fly fishing fly and other fishing. stories. No, uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien, and we. The reason we're doing it, I don't know. It's both. It's a book that both of us have spoken about in the past. It's something that um, I think that we come to from completely different uh, angles. In what I've just read about your your sort okay. of your history on 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 Lord of the Rings, yeah. but I think that it's also. I think it is a stepping off point or, you know, the first stepping stone of people on, on a, from childhood as a creative journey of becoming, um, whatever illustrator, writer, designer, yeah. it's definitely one of those books that takes you out of yourself, out of, out of the world and, you know, opens the imagination, but without change, without leaving the, leaving the reality, if you see what I mean. Yeah. A lot, a it's lot escapism, in it is, but it's the, grounded in, yeah, such you know, there's such kind of density and background to it that it feels real. Yeah, so we yeah so we're do, we're going to read. We're not reading it out live. <laughs> we're going to uh, discuss a, a chapter a week at the end of each show. But we thought we'd kick it off with the main topic being Lord of the Rings and talking about uh, its influence on us and other people and all that kind of jazz. So without further ado. Um, Rob, how did you, when did you first read Lord of the Rings? Well, weirdly, I had read quite a lot of fantasy fiction. I'd read stuff by David Gemmell and, is it David Gemmell? Uh, yeah. David Eddings and Remedy Feist. And I'd read lots of horror and I'd read lots of science fiction, including lots of stuff by kind of the classic, you know, Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and Larry Niven. Um, and for some reason... Lord of the Rings had kind of escaped me, even though I'd read all this fantasy fiction. And even though I'd been playing role-playing games for five or six years, including the Middle-earth role-playing game. And I remember when we started playing it, we'd been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a few years. And one of the, one of my friends got the Middle-earth role-playing game. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what Middle-earth was. And I remember him telling me it was, it's from, you know, the Lord of the Rings. It's based on a book. And I had no idea. And I remember the kind of, the weirdly, one of the illustrations I remember from the the rule books was of an ent. And I remember that being something that really sort of fascinated me, this, this idea of a walking, talking tree creature. Um, so eventually I got around to reading it, but I was 16 when I read it. And I, I first read Lord of the Rings, or started reading it, on a, an Aeroflot flight to Moscow in 1989, uh, where I was roundly mocked by Nick King, who was my uh, arch nemesis at school. Uh, he, he was mocking me for the fact that I hadn't read it, because he'd probably read it when he was eight. Uh, so he was the other kid at school who was really, really good at drawing, but... I used to draw, you know, copy things from 2000 AD and Nick King used to get his girlfriend who was three years older than him to pose naked for him. So, it was, you know, he was kind of, you know, he used to wear a donkey jacket and he used to listen to, I don't know, Billy Bragg. And so he was uh, kind of, well, he thought he was wise beyond his years, but I thought he was a dick. Um, but he's very good at drawing. Uh, so, yeah, I read it on a, a flight to Moscow 
started reading on the flight to Moscow. Um, and I don't really, weirdly, I don't remember much about that first reading of the book. I think my kind of memories of the book come from rereading it. Probably, uh, I've probably read it five or six times, maybe four or five times. Um, but I think the, I think it was probably twenty the time I read it that it had the most impact on me, and that I really got to grips with just what an astonishing piece of fiction it was, and how much work Tolkien had put into it. And I remember when I read it then, when I was sort of twenty, I, I read the Silmarillion afterwards, and that just um, kind of solidified this astonishing respect I've got for the world building that Tolkien undertook with Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings, the Silmarillion, the Hobbit. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I came to it. And what about you? When did you first read it? I think probably 1981 or two, something like that. So I'd have been about 10. Okay. Uh, 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 Precocious young thing. Well, no, I came to, um, I don't know. I, I really like the Hobbit and that led me through. Have you read the Hobbit? I have, but I don't, I don't know if I read it before or after I read Lord of the Rings. You were 10. I think so. Yeah. Well, my first experience of the Hobbit, we had my dad's lawyers that he was, we became, he became really good friends with their kids. I went to some posh school somewhere in Hampshire and I don't know where it was because I was so young. Uh, this I, th- I was thinking today, I think it, this must have been 1977 because I remember the next Christmas they got uh, the Atari and it had only just come out, I think, okay. in the UK or the dad had got it from America or something like that. And this thing was like something out of space. So it must have been the year before that. So I'm saying 1977. So I was six years old and I went to this play that they put on, which was a school performance of The Hobbit. And I didn't, wow. know, I didn't know what this thing was. And it blew me away. They'd built this amazing giant smog, which was a paper mache Blimey. sort of wired wire model. It was really good. And it just, it scared me because there were the spiders in it and there were trolls in it. And I was obsessed at the time with Greek mythology. And I didn't know anything about Norse you know, I used to go to the library, which is just around the corner from my house and <clears throat> sit there and read Greek mythology uh, on my well, own as a, as a six year old. Yeah. I used to come, I used to, I was quite a latchkey kid. I used to climb out <laughs> the back wall and go off <laughs> do all sorts of things. Uh, but no, I, I think six, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah. so, and this took, and then, so that opened up the whole of sort of, uh, Western European mythology to to me, and from there, yeah. I'm not, I'm not probably wasn't six at that point. I was probably eight or nine. But I then read the book. I finally got my hands on it because it was always out at the library. Told the, the reason that I had the Silmarillion was because that was the only one that I could get out because they never had Lord of the Rings. And then my uncle gave me a really like it was a single pay a single bound paperback edition of Lord of the Rings and it would mm. you know so badly made in the 70s it was falling apart already but I think it had is it Pauline Baines we've talked about that before haven't yeah we? she did the drawings for C.S. Lewis's stuff and there's a fantastic drawing on the back of the of um the the three hot the, the two hobbits and Gollum standing at the edge of Mordor in her style yeah. which I haven't found again it's fantastic anyway I read the book then and it just 
yeah, it changed my life immediately. I found it really hard work. And I think we're going to talk about the first chapter a bit later, but I think it was mm-hmm. the first chapter that really stimmed me because it's quite academic and it's almost like an introduction to a proper, um, you know, you can, you can see where Tolkien's background lay because he writes like an academic so yeah, when he's absolutely. discussing the book he talks about it as if it, the the uh the facts in it are real that the history has happened that you know people have written treaties on the history in the past yeah and you're already building the world and so i found that really hard to get past but once i got into the first chapter it turns back into the hobbit again the narrative the the the, mm. the, 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 the the style is very similar to the hobbit which is a children, you know, is is a children's book. <clears throat> I, I did read it really early, and then I've probably read it ten or twelve times. But the next time I came back to it after being into Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff was, um, and the BBC putting on a production probably in nineteen eighty one, eighty two, um, mm. and I used to listen to that on Sundays uh, religiously and get very angry if we had to go out for lunch. <laughs> Because I remember being on about eleven or twelve o'clock, something like that, after the after the archers, and because uh, you couldn't record anything then, it was gone, wasn't it? You, you had no yeah, chance yeah, of listening again. So it wasn't until I was at school that somebody had the tapes, um, so I was able to listen to it again. It's thirteen hours, um, which seemed like a lifetime back then. <laughs> Maybe I'll listen to those on the treadmill as you've thoughtfully sent them to me. Yeah, no, I and I and I recorded that. Those are from I think they're from the tapes that. Those MP3s. I shall look forward to the hiss and the crack. No, I don't know if they, I don't think they are that hissy. I, do, I, I think I, I put them onto mini disc. They've gone through quite a few different things. <laughs> and then, yeah, I've had definitely had them a very, very long time. I really hope they survive as birth, John. <laughs> yeah. And then I was at university and, and my housemates gave me the edition that I've got here. So which edition is it you're going to be reading? It's a HarperCollins 1991 edition. Okay. So it's a box Five. set. Oh, okay. In the in three volumes. Yeah. So I've got the brand new HarperCollins latest edition of the 50th anniversary edition. Uh, because I couldn't find my copy, so I had to buy a new one. Um, oh. But it's quite nice. It's got a nice fold-out uh, front cover with the map. In uh, in black and red. Is it a single bound edition then? It is, yeah. So it's quite quite chunky. It uh, runs to uh, well, including appendices and index, uh, eleven hundred and seventy eight pages. So you've got that to look forward to, listeners. <laughs> I think the the first thing of the structure of the book to talk about is probably the fact that it is that people say it's three books and it. It isn't actually three books, is it? It's six six books. There are six books in it. Would you say? Well, he says, didn't he say it was it was one book in six volumes? Right. Did he say published is, in published in three editions? I think is, <laughs> is that is how he of, says? Because this yeah. one says it's volume. This one says, oh no, it's part one. So each of the yeah. three segments are parts. They're not yes. books. So they? it's one book in one book to in rule three them all. parts. Yeah. Anyway, this is all technical nonsense, isn't it? <clears throat> so how do you think it's influenced you in terms of, you, you came to it late. What, what do you think is, is its enduring appeal? Well, although I came to it late because I'd consumed lots of fantasy fiction and I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, it's weirdly, it's, it's legacy was already 
kind of well entrenched in in what I saw and enjoyed about fiction. You know, Dungeons and Dragons is orcs and elves and ogres. And all that came from Tolkien. Um, you know, there isn't a, you know, I struggle to think of any fantasy fiction that I've read that doesn't um, uh, Tolkien a huge debt. You know, even though what, I think even when fantasy authors try and get away from Tolkien, it's kind of impossible. It's It's a bit like the Beatles and pop music. You know, everything that is post Beatles owes the Beatles a debt, even if they're trying not to. Um, and I think that's the, the same with Lord of the Rings. So I think I'd fallen in love with a lot of Tolkien's creations before I'd read any Tolkien. You know, I was already well immersed in in that kind of fantasy world before I'd read it. So it's, it's kind of a strange way to come about it, really. I think also it suffers a bit, the book, in terms of, one, it straddles that kind of hippie-ish, uh, 60, late 60s kind of political um, mm. underground comic book-making, filmmaking kind of culture, counterculture. And then it also, the sort of, late 70s early 80s kind of geeky game playing culture and then the films in the 2000s and and i think the book itself suffers from that it's had a lot of backlash of the writing is very um stilted and archaic and um you know it, it's had a lot of criticism but a lot of that i think comes from that kind of that those notions that are attached to it those 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 kind of uh uh kind of the background of, of the of the typical reader that people see Lord of the Rings having. Do you know what I mean? Does that well, make any know. sense? I, yeah, I get I I know what you're you're getting at. It is a dense, wordy book and, you know, at times it you know, it does strain to kind of this kind of stilted academic style of writing when he talks about the the kind of history of the worlds and the kind of the background of everything. Um for me, that's always fitted the story perfectly well, though. Um, and maybe it does, it, you know, it does cop flack now for the, for the style. But I think that's just, you know, the, I guess there's a lot of people who've read it that would not normally have read a fantasy book because of uh, his standing now and because of the films. So it's almost like, you know, you've got people who are kind of really not fantasy fans that have read Lord of the Rings and and are critical of it because of, of what it is. I, th- I think that's true. I think I think it's, uh, it is a work of genius in, in the fact that he spent his entire life dedicated to um, building the languages and the culture that supported these languages that he made up from roots that have their basis in, um, you know, in real human history. And I think that that shows, you know, the fact that he started playing about with the languages in, say, 1920, going back maybe even even earlier, and he didn't write the book until the mid-1950s. That age that he was playing with those stories 
is is evident in the book from the very first from the mm. pro- prologue we're, we're doing the prologue today but you know from that introduction to it and i think it's just pure coincidence that he wrote this other story called the hobbit that he suddenly realized that he could flesh out and and hang because he'd left it it was so vague the world that 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 that, that existed in when you read the book it doesn't well, have much of a weight to the world it's no, more of a I mean, linear adventure isn't it yeah that's the interesting thing that apparently the ring that Bilbo finds in The Hobbit, that was never, when he wrote that, that was never thought of as being the one ring. Because no. originally when he when he was going to write a sequel to The Hobbit, which his publishers asked for, um, there was never, it was, it was going to be Bilbo going out on another adventure to find some treasure because he'd spent all the stuff he, he, uh, he got in The Hobbit. Oh, right. And then he thought about the ring. Um, which is kind of weird, and I think in some ways the the Peter Jackson films um, kind of ruin that because the have you seen the three Hobbit films? No, I, I, I watched the first, and that that made me stop watching them. The first is the worst. Um, oh, is it? Does it get better? <laughs> but yeah, I, there is some very good stuff in them, but it you know it expands the the book so much and fills in so many details that. Tolkien hadn't written, um, including lots of kind of precursors and and forewarnings and foreshadowing of the One Ring, that it it takes away in some ways the kind of innocence of the Hobbit. Well, you don't even get you you get a slight hint in the prologue. You get a slight hint. We'll talk about this a bit later, but mm. um, it, yeah, the Ring culture. It, I mean, I haven't done any research on Ring culture, but Ring culture in Western. Um, saga myths is is massive, isn't it? Okay, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, so powers of rings as Wagner, mm. um, and so it was easy to use a ring as a kind of a symbol of of hidden and dark power. I mean, in yep. the Hobbit, the main the, the bad guys are are, are very um, they're very real to the characters in the book. They're not they're not distant mysterious figures there's a sort of there's mm. the mention of the necromancer but you don't really get near to him and so there's n- there's never that threat yeah. the threats are immediate to to bilbo whereas from the instant lord of the rings starts there's this kind of foreboding um the fact that um the borders of of the shire have become rather blurred over and are being ignored by by the hobbits who live in the shire it is from the first chapter is is evident even though you've got this kind of bucolic world they're living in. That's that's what you get from the prologue, isn't it? That, that, that kind of bucolic world, this kind of pastoral idyll that yeah. the hobbits inhabit. Um, but you talk about that kind of, uh, that shadow that hangs over everything. How much of that do you think is because of the war? Because obviously The Hobbit was written before the war. The Lord of the Rings was kind of written mostly uh, long after um, Tolkien's experience of the war. Well, I don't think Tolkien was that kind was that kind of a modernist writer. And so I think he always fought against that thinking that he was putting any of his real world into that, into that. He said, obviously, yeah. you know, certain things may, you know, his mood may have been darkened by, by mm. the times, but I, I don't think that uh, if you look at any of the story, it's all sort of tied up in, in, 
saga myths. Um, yeah. So no, I don't. I don't agree with any kind of historical of that present time. I mean, I'm I'm a great fan of that kind of reading of of books, but I, I think he was so old fashioned. So he was such a man of a Victorian and Edwardian times that yes. he 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 was all, he was so caught up in the world that he was living in, i.e., Middle Earth, that uh, that he was working in. That he didn't. He, that I don't think it affected it at all. I don't think you can make any mm. comparison between them. I think it's it's easy to do, but he 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 denies that vehemently, and he wasn't someone with a with a really with a, a sarcastic sense of humour. Do you know what I mean? He didn't have irony. He he wasn't like that. He he liked puns yeah. and silly jokes. He was like a you know he was a typical Edwardian granddad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I don't know. Would you? What do you think? That's just my I don't opinion. Know. I'm not, no, 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 no. It's, it's kind of one of the things I'd read about it is, uh, and like you say, he'd kind of denied that there was much of the of the influence of the war in there. And people have also said that a lot of it shows his his dislike of industrialization and the kind of modernizing of Britain, um, which you certainly get from the kind of beautiful, uh, sort of dreamy way he describes the landscapes of Middle Earth and the Shire. And then, obviously, later on in the book, uh, how how dark forces kind of ruin that. Oh, I think there's no doubt that he put things that he loved and hated in 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 the book, uh, mm. and and I and he says in the introduction he talks about he hates the industrialization of of um, what he sees as you know the cla- the classic British countryside, you know the world that of Piers Plowman and Chaucer that he studied all his life. Yeah. Um, you know, he, yeah, he absolutely hated that and he didn't trust it. And he, he built the hobbits are almost hit him, aren't they? They encapsulate his, his kind yes. of upbringing, his middle-class upbringing. Um, I think there's more influence from the first world war than the second world war in, in his writing. I think that, um, you mm. know, the, we're we going to get into this <laughs> already, but you know, the Sam Gamgee, the, uh, well, we'd, no, let's talk about that another time. But I think, you know, he, he, his eyes were open to the working classes by the First World War, as I think a lot of um, middle upper class um, people who had been, who'd grown up in, in ivory towers. Uh, yeah. You know, you put them in a mud hole in Flanders with bullets flying at them. They soon realise that everyone's the same. Yes. So, and you don't have to be a heroic to be a hero. No, and I th- I don't think he was, was he? And you know, I know he mm. fought in the in the Somme, but he was he was ill for a lot of it, and he was in and out of uh, he he was invalided out after about three months in the trenches. But he yes. he lost all but one of his best friends in the First World War, which you can't you just that that kind of hole that that would leave in your life is 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 unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Anyway, we're getting <laughs> dark, dark times, but yeah, I, I'm glad that we uh, we've picked this because it's such a great. Um, there's such a deep well of things that we can talk about uh, in 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 his work and his life, um, but I, I think the Second World War is something that is, it just goes too far, is too just too out of yeah, his maybe. his comfort yeah. zone. Um, <clears throat> So what was the next thing? <laughs> Let's talk a bit about the design of the books because he didn't just write these books. He really, really focused in on the detail and he was an illustrator as well as a writer. 
So all of the runes, all of the maps, all of the little um, icons that are, that litter the books, they're, yeah. they're all his, and they all come from his pen, which are just, they're beautiful things, aren't they? They are, and you don't get enough of them in, in modern books. Um, we talked before about how much we love maps in books, but the, these yeah. are the classics. With, with the classic um, kind of cone-shaped conifer woods that I love. Yeah. And you yeah, can re- just- you can recognise a, um, a a Tolkien mountain range from from anywhere, can't you? He's you can his pen work in it. Uh, yeah, I think there there is there is there they're like the uh, the quicksand for uh, s- s- small people reading these books. You know, they they're the things that are going to get you hooked into it. You know, just drawn into that and start drawing your own maps and then start trying to build your own world. Um, I wonder if he was he one of the first people to do that to do to put maps in in books I don't know but certainly I don't know C.S. Lewis didn't do it did he no he didn't there are no maps mm. in in any of his books are there no no because his world is so weird C.S. Lewis's yeah. world doesn't have a real it's very uh, it's very dreamlike it doesn't have a real, like, there's not a real yes, planet. Yes, it's not sort of grounded, is it? Yeah. Um, but why do you like the map so much? Red, black. <laughs> cream, black. They, they cream, do look great, cream, don't they? Cream paper. And it's that yeah. it's that classic red, isn't it? It's not it's not red red. It's kind of an orangey red. It's the, mm. the 16th century pamphlet red. Was it Vermilion? Yeah, it's an Ellie Press red. It is Ellie Press Road, yeah. Um, certainly, um, uh, the 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 maps in Lord of the Rings were a huge influence on me when it came to um, Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games. I used to take great delight in drawing the maps of the campaigns and um, kind of slavishly copied uh, Tolkien's style. Um, so that's probably one of the things that helped me kind of immerse myself in, in both his world and the in the fantasy world as well. Yeah, well, he's got this style where he draws something quite accurately, i.e. a mountain, in a kind of um, whimsical way. But then it's pl- plastered onto a very, um, like a very graphical, uh, heavy lined outline of a, you know, of an island. And yeah. and that just suits it. I don't know why, but it suits it. And it, do you know what it reminds me of? Is uh, is having done all the research for all the um, for my uncle Frank and the First World War project. Yeah. It reminds me of a lot of the the sketches done by a lot of the you know twenty year old officers on the mm. first trenches when they were drawing the first trench maps because they're really kind of beautifully. You know, I think that would be a brilliant exhibition to do, wouldn't it? Of early, early, yeah. early trench maps from the First World War, drawn on the back well, of cigarette packets and notepads and all that kind of stuff. But it, it does have that. He would have learned how to draw them. Well, that, that's it. I wonder if there's something in in education of the the day or the, the kind of textbooks of the day that that led them all to be similar in that respect. Yeah, possibly. Maybe there's a. You know, a geography teacher of the uh, early Edwardian era that that's responsible for all the beautiful maps that appeared. 
Um, yeah, so I was thinking in terms of writing style, um, my notes I put, and we've 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 already talked about this, but um, he, he the way he writes is very archaic. Uh, in a lot of his sentence structures, is uh, he's a lot of um, the sentence structures are reversed. So he'll start with um, the kind of uh, the summary of the sentence, and then and then revert back to the uh, the main meaning of it. So um, hmm. I'm going to have to find a sample now, aren't I? And that yes, please do. Me take me forever to find um you carry on i will i will come back <laughs> yeah like here's one uh, 40 leagues it stretched from the far downs to the brandywine bridge and 50 from the northern moors to the marshes in the south it, it's it's a really old-fashioned way of of writing and I think it has that sort of sense that it's being written by a professor or by a tutor in, yeah. <laughs> in some kind of like, you know, a, st- a, st- a study somewhere. But it, like you, I think one of the, the things I love about it is something that you, you talk about. It is, talks about it like a piece of literary criticism and it talks as if the events are real. And if this was a modern book, you'd think that that was quite a modern approach, wouldn't you? To it's kind of like not quite breaking the fourth wall, but there's a sort of postmodern edge to it, where you're talking about the the book existing in itself, but talking about the content of the book as being a real thing. You know, I think this could be the the the, the nubbin of what draws you and me into this kind of world is the fact is the world building that's going on. And it's the kind of, it's the mortar between the bricks rather than the actual brick. So if, if mm. we take, if we take star Wars, you know, it's a lot, it's character led. So the characters are quite strong. Um, the individual races or, or, um, uh, or classes as you might call them in, in Dungeons and Dragons, yes. you know, the stormtrooper, the, the bounty hunter that, you know, that's quite strong, but you t- you take those away and there's no- there's nothing there there's no kind of sense that somebody's mm. looking back somebody is casting their mind back to when this all happened so you don't get a sense of any kind of any kind of historical depth where if you take the beginning of the lord of the rings the prologue it, it is so written from that kind of lofty tower with a you know somebody scratching away with a with a with a um, a quill writing yeah somebody else's memory of somebody else's memory of somebody else's memory of an event. And that, and that immediately makes you start to fill out the, the sort of the cloudy edges um, well, that's with, with it your well, own because, imagination, doesn't it? Because it's all in the past tense and it is being, you do get the impression it's been written from long after the events have taken place. It kind of adds weight to it because it, it, it everyone's dead, aren't they? So yeah. the whole book is about ghosts and melancholy. It's very melancholy. And it is, you it's, know, we, we talked about the, you know, he's sort of pining for the world that is disappearing in front of his face. It, you know, he was a great driver. He loved driving cars, but he really? was in a selfish way. Yeah. He used to get drunk and drive all over the place and uh, he was a terrible driver, but they used to drive out into the middle of the countryside because they could all of a sudden um, mm. have a great picnic. He loved his red wine. And then drive back completely smashed. Um, but he then starts, you know, there are too many cars on the road. So it's almost like they've <laughs> taken away his fun because he's yeah. an ivory tower. He's a, he's that classic product of white English empire building, you know, a British yeah. empire building. 
and uh, and he sort of acts a bit like a spoiled child but you know it's that it is that regret and 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 melancholia for a world that has long since or maybe never even existed you know a la mm. brexit um but yeah it, it is a sad, it's a sad book from the start isn't it it is you're right anyway <clears throat> so the okay. prologue the prologue writes like a uh, an introduction to uh, a, a novel or a piece of work that you might be uh, criticizing in terms of you might be at university and, and studying it in a group or um, or it's just an introduction to a new edition by an academic and it sets out kind of the history of the hobbit race and it sounds like it's the introduction to uh, a dungeons and dragons like <laughs> you know a uh, character guide or whatever. Yeah, it's filling you in on lots of background before you dive into the book itself, isn't it? Yeah, but there are lots of annotations to books that obviously don't exist. And yep. um, so it's written in a very tongue-in-cheek way. I imagine it amused many of uh, his fellow academics as they as they read that that opening chapter. Um, mm. But what's it, what is interesting about it is he makes them out to be really boring, you know, fun fun-loving but... Pr- pretty pretty uh, vacuous kind of people where they're only the, the most famous element of their history you know which has been going on for 1300 years um is the fact that they've discovered how to smoke <laughs> yeah pipeweed <laughs> and that is the yeah concerning pipeweed yeah and he talks a lot about the fact that you know much of the hobbit's history is of interest only to hobbits yeah, you kind of get this sense of how have they been ignored for so long? Because it's quite a yeah. large. I, I did a. I've done a geeky thing is in that I took. Oh, good. I've measured the size of the Shire. Okay. From his notes, so I've taken. Right. So he says that it's um it's forty leagues uh, wide and fifty leagues tall. Now a league is a kind of a bit of a, a mute measurement but the average mm. is is three miles so that makes okay. it 120 by 150 miles so it's quite a large that's area like, that's like london it's like greater london oh no it's bigger than that isn't it square miles so if i say <laughs> american listeners your closest state to that is west virginia at twenty four thousand square miles or <clears> in <throat> europe it would be on one on the larger scale slovakia which is 19,000, which would have been unrecognisable to uh, Tolkien in his time. Denmark is 17,000. So it's it's a large old slab of country. And that kind of puts that map into scale a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. I never really saw it that big. Because if you think a league was, the original league was what you can walk in a day. Oh, is that what it was? Uh, But... Okay, so he's talking about... No, sorry, about not a day, of, one hour. Okay, but he was talking about from the uh, hobbits. They've got little legs. Yeah, so are, the, are their leagues going to be smaller? Yeah, I reckon so. I reckon they're about a third the size. But do you think that they they then had problems with other parts of the uh, of Middle Earth in terms of conversions? <coughs> Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <I, I, laughs> Yes, because if you um, bought um, if you bought a horse off a hobbit and they said, "Oh, it's done," you know, it's done ten thousand miles that that horse. It's got, it's got ten thousand leagues on the clock. Yeah, uh, in hobbit terms, that's 
you know, that's only that's that's only done a third of it. So they're never going to be yeah. able to make any money out of their horses. Similarly, though, you know, when they say a horse is 12 hands high. Yeah. What you're getting is a Shetland pony. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I wonder, I wonder if I wonder if that was a, a thing. <laughs> you know, is, is the is the Shire as big as we think it is or not? Well, that's well how it. long does it take them to walk out? Well, I guess we'll come to that, won't we? Well, the walk, uh, an hour's walk is, 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 on average, I looked it up on the internet, so it must be true, is 2.4 miles to 4.6 miles. And right. the British averaged it at three miles. Okay. So, you know, it's 11.52 million acres. That's that's 11 York, North Yorkshires. Yes, I thought it was kind of the size of Yorkshire. I always thought yeah. Yorkshire was, was the model for it, but it's massive. Mm. So that puts into perspective the kind of size of it. How is that missed? Mm. I guess it's just because they don't they don't interact with with the outside world. Mm. So I think another feature that we should have uh, just ending that so bluntly is is a word of a word of the week. Okay. What's your word Let's. of the week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a word in it called Matham. Which is uh, which is what they call gifts. Yeah, see, I'd have said Matham. Matham. Well, that probably that sounds a lot lot more reasonable. Um, okay. It's regifting. Did you do any yeah. this year? No, uh, I'm not really one for regifting. <laughs> I also, I despise the term gifting. Right. You give people presents. You buy people presents. They get presents. All right. There is get, no gifting. Don't get a Matham on. Only <laughs> in America is there a thing called gifting. Don't come in my smeal giving me Maythums. <laughs> oh, are you you're giving us a, a a a peek at next week's word of the, the week? These are these are that's Hobbit Street talk. Is it you're getting all uh, Shire ghetto on me? <laughs> and on that <laughs> slingshot. Yes. So uh, the uh, the end of the prologue. Um, I've said it already, the the melancholia that's in there. It ends really sadly in the passing of the last kind of important character from Middle Earth into the Grey Havens. It gives you absolutely no, is it Grey Havens? White? Mm, yeah. yeah. yeah the Grey it gives Havens. you absolutely no indication as to what that is, where it is, what's going on. But you instantly get this sense of, oh, that's really sad. And then the book yeah. starts. It's yeah. like, it's really weird. And I think that ties you in that, you know, when you get to the end of this bloody great book, it's really upsetting when you get to the end of it. it it's really sad. It um, and I think that that's carried all the way through the book. How he does it, I, I have no idea. So No, uh, it's a remarkable feat. Yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I haven't read Me it too. for quite a few years. So um, um, I also... I also think it'll help us keep to a weekly uh, podcast schedule. Yeah, I'll be racing ahead with this bloody book. Yeah. And well, you can't. Bloody like allowed. I'm a British one officer. chapter a week. Yep, one, one chapter cha- a week, John. One chapter a week. Right. Well, um, should we should we end there? Let's. Well, it was a delight. That was I enjoyed really a good. Little skip through the Shire. Should, uh, should we, do, we pause? Should we, pie? should we do pie? What have you got this week? Right. Well, I've got one. You've had. Uh, I've got a Pyminster Free Ranger. Oh, the Rangers. The, the Free Ranger. You've gone, gone for a Lord of the Rings themed pie. 
with uh, yeah, I hope Strider. you have as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm diving it. It smells absolutely delicious, and it's uh, oh, you can smell the thyme. So it's you know as all chicken and leek pies are, you know, there's a hint of the chicken soup about it, but that's not a bad thing. Very hot. Hmm. It's actually really good. I haven't I haven't had many Prime Minister pies. Um, that's really delicious. You know, it tastes like a a good pub pie. You yeah, know, it's got the kind of big big old chunks of you know pretty nicely cooked chicken, and you know everything in there you can taste, which is good. I think with their pies, they've got this weird, the pastry is really weird, isn't it? Because it's like a, it's almost a puff pastry, but it's almost a short, it's like a, a, flaky, is, yeah. a flaky short crust. It's like a weird hybrid. It's very, very fattening. Their their pies are all over 600 oh, calories. So I've I'll got. back on the trail so, after this. So what are you, are you not doing it now? You're well, not as we talk. Yeah. No, maybe next week. So what are you going to give that pie? That's going to get a 7.6, John. Right. Well, I've got a Pie Minister too. It's one of my oh. Christmas collections, and this one's called Missile Moo. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't, it's not even, it doesn't even, uh, how is that a pun? It doesn't even go. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a beefsteak, bacon, port, and chestnut pie. Okay. So it's got the pastry, same same kind of thing going on. Um, so I'm I'm going in, right? Got my beef. I'm just eating as as you eat because <laughs> it's good. Mm. I can't taste bacon. I can taste the beef. No way can I taste port. Chestnut. All I can do is is get the is the sweetness of the chestnut, like the one last week, which as I ate, I gave it a seven. But as I ate the rest of it or half of it was just overwhelmingly sugary and I think this one is too no I think mine went up last week when I finished it I think it got better and better yeah so I'm going to give this one a six but it you know um it's 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 an okay pie but there's too much sugar in it (laughs) well next week is uh is a long expected party yeah so if you want to read along you know, yeah. drop us your comments. If you hate what we're doing, then there are plenty of other podcasts out there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and if you don't hate, please let us know. I, I enjoyed that, John. Brilliant. I will speak and to you next week. Will do. Take care. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye. <laughs>